There was one particular piece of math that was missing. Um, I could not for the life of me fathom how I was going to make this particular transformation. It's something I had been ruminating on for probably weeks, um, painfully so, you know, to where, to, to where you wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat because you don't know the answer yet. Well, one night I woke up in a cold sweat with the answer, jumped out of bed, wrote it down, and then got up the next morning and realized that it wasn't doggerel. It was actually the solution, and it, and it now is utilized in the, in the system that we have today. But it came out of a dream. Ever wonder how a simple dream could maybe lead to great technological breakthroughs? Well, we will hear a story about that from our guest today, Russ Young, Chief Technology Officer here at Hawk. Welcome to Testing the Waters. I'm your host, Stacy Flax. Russ. Stacy. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. It's good. Good to, you. good to see you too. Thank you so much for coming on today. Um, Let's talk a little bit about who is Russ Young, Chief Technology Officer here at Hawk. Who are you? Who am I? <laughs> okay. Um, first off, I'm 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 the what I call the head nerd of the company, and uh, I'm I'm blessed with the fact that I get to oversee the development of research pro or research projects at Hawk Company. I um, actually um, am. Um, working with the lead scientists and lead engineers, uh, some we have everything up up to and including distinguished scientists, uh, principal scientists, senior scientists within the organization. I myself am a bioanalytical chemist and biophysicist. Um, that's that's what my PhD is in. Um, I went to school for chemistry and uh, then moved into into graduate school and got my PhD, as I just mentioned, at Colorado State University. Mm -hmm. um, and then I immediately, after my postdoctoral fellowship in uh, reproductive and immunological uh, physiology, I did a, uh, a stint at, in postdoc, and then I came to Hawk directly. Nice. So. so let's talk about the focus. So you've talked about your career, um, well, your education. And then we talk, let's talk a little bit about your career, where you got started, where your focuses were. And then also, was there a point ever that you were maybe thinking about shifting your focus? Um, actually, well, I went, in high school, I was fortunate enough to go to, go to a high school that actually had an excellent science and math program. So I'm a big proponent of STEM, and it's partly because I had an excellent experience. And I came out of high school with a, essentially a, um, a major in chemistry, a major in physics, and a major in math. So we had multiple chemistry classes and multiple physics classes and biology. And so I came out of school with, with, this, with this great package from which to pick, right? So eventually I would take all of them and put them all into one package. But, but at first when I went to college, I was going for physics. Um, but my university at the time, Alfred University in upstate New York, they really didn't, they really weren't equipped to, to move me along in the way that I needed to, to, to really make a, make a splash in physics. They did have a fine chemistry program. And so I was, I was actually had majors in both 
And so I actually pursued a chemistry major in earnest um, with a biological minor, biology minor. And obviously the math that was, the math w that was uh, a component of, you know, that was necessary for both. And um, so I made my first switch from physics to chemistry. And then when I went to graduate school, I actually was looking at the chemistry department at both CSU, Colorado State University, and Syracuse University. And both were, interestingly enough, both had very fine programs in bioanalytical chemistry. And I was originally going to sign on the dotted line with a guy named Ben Ware at Syracuse, but then uh, somebody pointed me at uh, Colorado State University and a gentleman named uh, Dr. B. George Baresis at, uh, at CSU. And um, through a friend, I got an interview. I had, had, a, had an interview with him where they flew me out to the university. And I decided to sign on the dotted line with CSU because George was doing some outstanding stuff. There was only one other individual who was in Germany who was doing the kind of work that Ben Ware and, and George were doing. And George was really innovative and, and uh, just my, inter my, my interest eyebrows went up when I got to know him. And so I signed on the dotted line with CSU and um, now he's like, he's, he's like another father to me. He's a fun, he and his wife, Deborah, who is a physiologist, um, they work together where George designs instrumentation and, and uh, utilizes it for elucidation of biological function, but Deborah being a, a, uh, being a, a physiologist, reproductive and endocrinological physiologist, also used the instrumentation. So I did my PhD with George and Deborah, and so that's why I can say that my background is in bioanalytical chemistry and biophysics, because the biophysics component is the mathematical analysis that comes from all of that work. So they, they really complement one another. Oh, yes. Absolutely. They're, they're a fine team. Yeah. And it sounds like you, your roots are really kind of in academia in some ways. And any, anybody who's done a PhD plus postdoc has an academic root, um, definitely. Um, so making the, trend, making the decision that, you know, I, at one point I thought it would be, it would be part of my journey to be uh, associated with the university as a professor. And then I looked at how long it would take for, take for me to really make a splash in the space. And I really wanted to move into industry. However, in industry, I would probably have to shift gears significantly, which is okay. I don't mind shifting gears, but, you know, um, um, being, able to, being able to carry my, my knowledge base somewhere where it was going to be utilized. Now, one other thing that when I was in graduate school, I was also the machinist for my laboratory. I did a lot of, a lot of machining for my lab. So when I, when I finally signed with Hawk Company, uh, a gentleman named uh, um, uh, Joe Parrish hired me from Hawk Company, wonderful guy. Um, I came in and was able to do my own machining for my own instrumentation and things like that. So it allowed, allowed me to move along very quickly in my research programming here because I design my own equipment, make my own equipment, test my own equipment, throw it all away and start again. Um, so it sped, the, it sped the research turns, research turns, if you will, uh, to move the research programming a little bit quicker here at Hawk Company once I was finally moving well sure. at Hawk Company, once I knew the ropes. Yeah, you had, so you brought a lot of skill sets on board that really mm -hmm. did help kind of move you along. Yeah. And, and it's got to be also really rewarding to, as you said, 
build, utilize, break down, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was being working in bio, biology, chemistry, physics, biochem, microbiology, um, all at the same time, along with having design, design our own laser and optical instrumentation, I was blessed with the fact that I was able to practice an awful lot of fabulous mathematics and science. It's, it's not of any, it's not my brilliance or anything like that, it's just that I was afforded the opportunity to play in multiple areas, which is a phenomenal gift that I was, that I, that was, I was given. And, and, and I tried to parlay that into a package that was attractive to business and, and somewhat I think it, I think it was. And I was able to move quickly through a lot of research here at Hawk Company to move into a few, a few pretty, pretty important pieces of work. So. We're gonna talk about some of those. Sure. So tell me, your first big project at Hawk, um, there's a lot, I know, but maybe one that centers around uh, some of the LDO We've talked on that. And then also for, you know, my sake as well, just kind of explaining what that technology is. Okay. Well, I will, I'll go back before that. Okay. Um, my first real project was uh, the development of a, of a uh, algae, algae, uh, algae sensing system for, uh, for, for um, ag or excuse me, for um, uh, environmental water. And... It was at first based on fluorescence technology because that was one of the best ways to go after the, when you measure algae, you're really measuring the chlorophyll and the chlorophyll ratio of different kinds of chlorophyll to tell you what kind of algae is there. And so because I was a, did a lot of fluorescence spectroscopy in graduate school, I wanted to bring that forward into Hawk Company for an industrial product. Unfortunately, going after fluorescence at that time really wasn't something that was uh, that Hawk Company was ready to go after. Um, and so we actually translated into a spectrophotometric analysis or colorimetric analysis. We can get into what the differences are between those two in a little bit here. But, but that was the first major project that I did at Hawk Company. And it, 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 had, it had bits of fluorescence, it had bits of spectrophotometry, it had bits of chemical development, chemistry development, and, and it was a quintessential Hawk project simplification of a complex method down to something that any customer can use. That's the idea behind Hawk Company. And so that, what that takes, you know, it seems so simple because it is simple in the end, but there's a lot of work and a lot of uh, research and development that goes behind that to make it possible. Absolutely, the, the brilliance of Clifford Hawk, in addition to him being a phenomenal chemist, his ideas on simplification of process were quintessential. Those process improvements were quintessential to the success story of Hawk Company. If you actually look at a laboratory prior to Clifford, just to do a hardness test, you would have had beakers and burettes and, and a whole bunch of chemistry equipment, probably a Bunsen burner sitting somewhere else. The only thing that was missing was a Tesla coil with the, with the uh, Tesla ladder with the electricity going up it. Um, but you needed all that equipment just to do a single test for hardness. Clifford actually focused on how, how, do I, how do I take that and make it so anybody who can read, or better, even better yet, anybody who can look at icons and follow the iconography to do the test, if, if I can develop something like that, I can really simplify the life of 
the customer at the wastewater facility, at the drinking water facility, or whoever wants to make these kinds of measurements, right? And so Clifford focused on that. And so the Hawk 10 Commandments that I'm sure that sometime in one of these podcasts we'll talk about, um, the, the, the basis of the ba basic elements of the Hawk 10 Commandments is simplification of complex processes down to something that anyone can do. So that, that was, that, that's been a focus of, of my life and the, life, the lives of science, scientists, engineers, and innovators at Hawk Company. That's something that we just do. Yeah, and I, again, I think it's, it's, it's evident um, that, not just evident, I think it's important to have that simplification because, again, the technology and the, the science behind it is so complicated mm -hmm. and the goal here is to make it easy, right? Make it easy, easy so that I could walk into a laboratory and just do the tests and it would be accurate. The results would be accurate. Mm -hmm. My lack of expertise didn't affect the results because the process was so clearly defined and so simple. And, and you know, if you look at the, if you look at the um, evolution of the Hawk product, we went from all the beakers and all the stuff that I just mentioned to simple uh, powder pillows where you just add, a, add, a, uh, add some powder to a sample, swirl, do the Hawk swirl with it, and then stick it into a device to read its color. That was still relatively hydraulic. And by Hawk standards, if there's a way to simplify even beyond that, we should be pursuing it. So when you look at the PPA project, the, the, uh, the, the um, uh, portable parallel analysis system that we have where you take a chip, stick it in an instrument, touch it to a sample of water and it does everything for you immediately in, in parallel. So I could, I could do four, four tests simultaneously. That is like the apex of the simplification mechanism. Same chemistry is going on as, as is going on when I do all my burettes and all that, but in a teeny tiny package that is getting back to precision and accuracy, anybody, a, a, a five-year-old child can get the proper answer with that particular product. Which is, 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 it's like people who own pools, right? Mm. You wanna be able to walk out, mm -hmm. stick a test strip in the pool, mm -hmm. see, hey, am I good? Do I need to add? Do I need to take away? Mm -hmm. And having that simple, quick, because we're all busy, mm -hmm. we've all got things that we need to be doing. And, and leaving the expertise and the, the science behind it to people like you just makes our lives so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, that's, that's our hope. Yeah, yeah. so I've heard that you have what you call this nerdy edge. Mm -hmm. So taking things to the nerdy edge, tell me a little bit about that. Well, I, I, I enjoy understanding things at a very deep level. I like to understand, well, since we do wastewater hot company, I like to understand why certain kinds of toilet paper are more absorbent than others. Hydro, hydrophobicity levels of the, of the fibers that are involved in toilet paper manufacture. So that just means that you can actually take toilet paper and make it interesting from a scientific perspective. So that to me, going to that nerdy edge is just fun. It's interesting, it's intensive. If you're, if you're with somebody who's into that kind of nerdy edge stuff, you can actually have some very deep conversations, scientific conversations that begin to move down the path of, of very deep chemistry, physics, mathematics on any topic. I enjoy that. 
Water's the lifeblood of our communities. That's why we do what we do to protect water quality, global water quality. Absolutely. It's science gives us this story that we can utilize to help plan. Yes. Right? Plan or respond. Plan and respond. Right. I think that's, that's, that's so cool. Uh, you mentioned earlier in our conversation, fluorescence and colorimetry. Mm -hmm. Kind of want to go back to that. Sure. I know that's something that is, uh, I've seen a lot of it in some of the uh, professional publications, a lot of articles about it. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, Russ, I'm curious to hear more about your role in that technology and, and also understanding kind of what the different, uh, you know, colorimetry, fluorescence, what they are and when we should use them. Okay. Hawk has had, Hawk has two, has made two major forays into what I'm going to call luminescence-based technologies. Luminescence covers things like fluorescence, covers things like phosphorescence, and covers things that are mathematically similar to both, but not quite either. So um, our first foray using luminescence-based technologies was in our, our creation of something called luminescence-based dissolved oxygen determination. And what, what is actually going on there is we have a, uh, a, a little piece of plastic. Uh, looks like a lens, probably about an inch in diameter. And we coat that with a layer of what I'm gonna call paint mm -hmm. that has what's known as a lumophore in it. It's something that when I shine light of one color on it, it gives off light of a different color. And as, as, the, as uh, um, the concentration of oxygen in the air or in the water changes, when it's in contact, <clears throat> when, that, when that disc is in contact with the water or the air, as the oxygen concentration changes, the amount of the other color changes. So I'm shining, in the case of LDO, luminescence-based dissolved oxygen Hawk product, I shine blue light on the sensor, red light is given off. And as the oxygen concentration increases, the amount of red light goes down. So it's an inverse relationship rea uh, uh, physics reaction. And we have developed the, the uh, electronics and the math and the chemistry to produce a product that actually is widely used in wastewater determination of oxygen. And what you may, not, may or may not know is that um, aeration or pumping oxygen into a wastewater pond at a wastewater facility is one of the most expensive things that they do. So optimal management of that through measurement and control is one of the most important things that you can do. So this particular sensor is absolutely, absolutely uh, required to manage, to manage that oxygen relationship in a wastewater pond. And we developed that, uh, that technology back in, began working on it in 1997 and had a product, I believe, you know, and I'm talking brainchild idea of a product uh, out to something tangible in the hand in, a, in about five years, I believe it was. Wow. And that seems long, but in actuality, it was a brand new paradigm to Hawk Company, um, something we've never done before. Um, and it was exceedingly innovative back then. It's not, it's not particularly innovative now because a but lot of people time. do it. At the time, it was disruptive, breakthrough, whatever you want to call it. Um, but that was the first foray into luminescence-based technologies at Hawk Company. And the math behind that had to have been extraordinary. And so tell me a little bit, I heard there was a dream. <laughs> um, when, when we were developing LDO, 
getting signals out and, and the electronics and the, and the hardware, they were challenging. Development of that was challenging. A, a number of fine engineers, fine, fine scientists uh, uh, worked on this project and, and really knocked it out of the park with respect to the, the device itself and the, the device architecture. Um, but transforming those signals into a real oxygen value was a challenge and extreme challenge. And uh, there was one particular piece of math that was missing. And um, I couldn't for the life, and I was at that time I was a lead scientist on this. It, um, I could not for the life of me fathom how I was going to make this particular transformation. And it's something that I had been ruminating on for probably weeks. Um, painfully so, you know, to where, to, to where you wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat because you don't know the answer yet. Well, one night I woke up in a cold sweat with the answer, jumped out of bed, wrote it down, and then got up the next morning and realized that it wasn't doggerel. It was actually the solution, and it, and it now is utilized in the, in the system that we have today. But it came out of a dream, and it, yeah, well... <laughs> it's, it, was, it was quite scary because we, I, if I hadn't had that dream, we would have had to go some other route. I'm sure we would have found the answer, but it would have been a longer a Did longer you write transition. down what you ate before you went to dinner or no. any of the things that happened prior to that? Because I could use that in no. some of my questions that I have. I need that, that Russ dream it technology. Was, it was multiple nights of fear and trembling. Lots of discussions with other people. I'm not going to take full credit for this. I'm going to say that I had fabulous conversations with other engineers and scientists, but the final packaging and how to put it together came in a dream. So fascinating. Mm -hmm. The collaboration came together in a dream, mm -hmm. and you had the answer. The, the weird part is that I have dreams like that. In, in colorimetry or, or spectrophotometry, what I'm doing is I'm... It's, it's what I'll call a 180 degree technology. I'm gonna shine, yeah, yada, yada, yada. I'm gonna shine a light into my eyeball and, I, and then I'm going to put something in front of it that has a bit of color associated with it and I'm gonna tell you how much color is in that sample, okay. right? Now, what that means is I have an exceedingly intense beam of light coming at my eyeball. I'm looking at the sun trying to tell you exactly how how red a, a red filter is. Well, that's a great way to do, do chemistry, you know, to, do, uh, to, to, do, to ascertain the quantitation in chemistry, which is exactly what the Hawk products, many of the Hawk products do. Brilliant science, but it has some limitations with respect to detection limit and, and, uh, and management of the intensities of the light that are coming off. If I have too much color in that sample, I won't see anything, it'll be completely black. If I, if I have just a teeny tiny bit, how do I discern between the blinding bright light and the you know, teeny tiny bit of color change that I'm gonna have, okay? So it works within a range. Sure. Now the, the, the wonderful thing about fluorescence-based technologies applied in the, same, in the same use model is that fluorescence is classically, or luminescence are classically considered 90 degree technologies, blah, blah, blah. Let's take a look. Instead of coming, looking at the beam coming straight at my eyeball, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shine the beam 90 degrees from where my eyeball is looking. I'm gonna shine my beam into a sample and I'm gonna look at what color or what light scatters back to my eyeball. Now the difference between this and the, and the, and the colorimetric method is that in a, in a black room, 
I can have, if I have any kind of, any kind of event, a fluorescent event at, at my thumb, shining a beam this way, I'm going to see it this way. Coming towards you. Coming toward me at 90 degrees. I will see that. And it will have a very, very low background as opposed to shining a, a, a sunbeam at my eyeball and then trying to, uh, as I'm screaming for my retina being burned, um, um, actually trying to discern, make a discernment, uh, trying to discern the color change. With fluorescence, shining a bright light, I never see the bright light necessarily. If I'm doing a good job of fluorescence detection, I only see the emitted light from the sample. Now, what does that mean? Why, why, do I, why would I care? Well, in, general, in generalized, thinking, generalized thinking about fluorescence versus spectrophotometric me measurement, your detection limits go down. Okay. So I, I have a, a very low detection limit with fluorometric methods as opposed to colorimetric or spectrophotometric methods. So Hockett Company has really done a fabulous job of pushing the boundaries of spectrophotometry. But there is a floor. There is, you can go so low and then you can't do any more. Fluorescence takes you to the next level down. It's the basement. It's it, where you it, go we, down we, below we, even maybe mm -hmm. the basement. And yeah. we don't know what the basement is for the kinds of measurements that we would do. Your instrument, we are, with spectrophotometry, we are instrument, we are instrument bound. We, we push the instrument to, to, its, to, to the absolute apex of its performance. With fluorescence, we haven't even scratched the earth yet. So we know the limits right. of spectra... Spectrophotometry. Photometry. Or colorimeter. Or easier. colorimeter. Mm -hmm. But with fluorescence, we don't know what the bounds are yet. Well, excuse me. We don't know what our instrumental, our bounds, instrumental are, bounds are, how far Hawk can push that. We have just started. We, we, we're, we're now uh, selling a new product that is for chlorine determination at ultra-low levels that's based on a fluorometric method that looks from a customer use model perspective identical to our classical Hawk simplified methods where I pour some powder pillow into a sample, do the Hawk swirl, and then stick it into an instrument and read it. But now we're using, using spectrofluorimetry instead of spectrocolorimetry or spectrophotometry. So it really depends on what measurement you're wanting to do, what you're wanting to measure, at what level you're wanting to measure with the, the science that you use, the, mm -hmm. the technology. But tell me more about the chemistries. Yeah, as I mentioned, the, the, the instrumentation is something that Hawk, is, Hawk does really well already. We knew that we could do, you know, we could think about instrumentation and, and we could think about how to, how to develop this kind, of, this kind of 90 degree technology or acquire that technology. We knew that we could do that. The trick is making chemistries that resemble the use model of the current customer base with spectrophotometric chemistries, but making them work using fluorescence as the finish. And I wanna, I wanna really herald the chemistry team at, here at Hawk because in, in reality, pe some people aren't gonna like this, but Hawk is a chemistry company. We develop chemistry for water, and we use instrumentation to, to look at that chemistry and how it changes with different analytes of interest in the water. So, but the development of those chemistries is paramount to our success. And so the chemist here at Hawk Company, led by a gentleman named Darren McFarland, who is the, who is the uh, director of chemistry, for, global director of chemistry for Hawk Company, he and his team have done a phenomenal job of thinking about, okay, 
We've seen the detection limit for spectrophotometry here. We know that we'd like to go lower. Now we need to develop some fluorometric assays that will go lower in these particular analytes that I'm not gonna tell you about because they're things that are in the, in the works. But the, the, but the chlorine one is something that we did and this is how it came about. D Darren said, I wanna go lower. And so he had to develop ke chemistries that were based on fluorometric analysis. Now, there are some intricacies with fluorometric analysis. You have to keep things in the dark so they don't get destroyed by the light. Um, you, have to, you have to work a, in a little bit different manner with respect to interferences. Okay. And so that team has done some phenomenal work in, in capturing all of the nuances of fluorometric chemistry while maintaining the performance in all sorts of, in, in, in our classical use models. So they, these chemistries have to work in the current use models and in the current samples that the, that, the, that the customer needs to use them in. And that is one of the most important pieces of the Hawk success story, is we do phenomenal chemistry in whatever we do. And we simplify that chemistry down to the point where it, the customer doesn't even understand how complex it is. That's yeah. really cool. And you're talking about pushing limits. So is there anything that you see coming in the future that you can talk about that you're excited about? Exciting new analytical methods? Any new fun? There are boatloads of fun things that we're working on that are disruptive to the space and will impact the market in a positive manner. And I would love to tell you all about them but you can't. But I can't. Yeah. Trade secret, right? It, it, at this time, until yeah. it's a product, I cannot tell you. I cannot share. But I'm, I'm telling you, the stuff that you've told me thus far and how the technology has changed and how Hawk is continually pushing the limits and how scientists like you yeah. are thinking ahead and really looking to the future and saying, where do we need to be? And what is it going to take to get us there? Mm -hmm. And understanding, because you mentioned limits, and I know that parameters are changing for mm -hmm. wastewater utilities very rapidly. What would, you, what would you tell someone? What would you tell someone who maybe is fresh out of college and they're interested in the water industry and they want to stay relevant? They want to continue down the path to being the next Russ Young. Well... This is going to sound antithetical to what you're probably expecting. The customer, in reality, doesn't want analytical methods. The customer wants solutions that make his or her life easier. They don't care. If the, if the solution works, they don't care. So always, if I had one piece of information to give somebody who's a you know, burgeoning technologist or innovator, generalized innovator, and that includes the marketing side, what would, I, what would I tell them to do? Find out what the customer needs, or excuse me, find out what the customer thinks they need, monitor their process closely, learn what they do, learn what they complain about, learn what they think can't be done, and then do it. Give them solutions that help with them with their problems that they haven't even thought they have. But in essence, in reality, they do have, they just didn't know there was a solution, right? Yeah. So it's all about gathering, gathering the proper insights uh, from, the customers, from the customer's daily work, 
from the customer's buying habits, from the customer's, um, from the customer's problem set. Then sitting down with innovators from all areas of the business and some that aren't a part of the business because adjacency is one of your best friends because thinking about something in an adjacent manner often leads to fabulous solutions, right? It's about orthogonal thinking at the end of the day, thinking off, off, off axis mm -hmm. about the problem that the customer has. Being willing to step outside your normal solution paradigms to go after the solution that nobody ever thought about because it can't be done. Breaking outside of that box, mm -hmm. taking what you've been told, like you said, can't happen and saying, but how can it? But how can it happen? But how can it happen? Mm -hmm. And it also brings up, you, you were mentioning the sim simplicity, and there's a term that is used at Hawk. Hawkification? Absolutely, Hawkification. Providing the customer with a simple solution to their problem. That's awesome. That's what we do. Well, that's a very good point. I appreciate that. I think we hit on a lot of really important topics that people are talking about. We got to know you a little bit better. And I look forward, we talked about maybe talking about the, t the Hawk 10 Commandments Absolutely. at some point. And, um, and we've, we, we learned how a dream dreamt a solution. Dreams come true. Dreams come true. Thank you, Thank you so much. I appreciate you. you.